The scripture this morning is from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison made, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Thanks, Shanna. Good morning. So I want to give you a word. Kids, this is sort of fun to say. Epistemology. Can you say epistemology? <laughs> Some kid, you want to try it? Epistemology. It's a branch of philosophy, and it, it, it concerns the idea of knowledge. What does it mean to know something? How do you come to know something? It might sound, might sound a little weird, but, but here's the thing. There was a, a really specific understanding of what it meant to know something in the times of the Bible among the Jews. We take sound doctrine very seriously here. We want you to think rightly because every, everything that you might do and feel that is right needs to flow from thinking rightly. Uh, but here's, here's the key. To claim to actually understand or know something in, in, a, in a biblical sense is to have it impact your life. 
you can't in our culture you can kind of know we we think you can know things but it has no impact on how you live or how you feel it's just not the case in the bible to to know something to to truly have knowledge of a thing is to have it shape who you are and i say that because you might have noticed the songs we just sang were filled with lament and 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 they're songs about when life is hard and painful and difficult and each one of them talked about how in that we would turn our eyes to the Lord. Well, this, this passage is filled with that. You don't feel it all that much because of the nature of Joseph's faith. But this is a guy who was hated by his siblings. All 11 brothers hated him to the point it says that they couldn't even talk to him favorably. And then they sold him into, they're, they're going to kill him, but then they thought, well, we don't make any money from that, so let's sell him. They sold him. How how tragic and, and painful would that be? And and they sold him to people who sold him to somebody in a pagan land who enslaved him. And then as if that wasn't enough, he got put in prison for something he didn't do for, for a long time. In fact, verse, we don't know exactly how long, but verse, chapter 40 next week begins with some time after this, after his imprisonment. And the idea is it's a, it's a significant length of time. And so here's the point. We're going to look at Joseph and how he responded to all of this. And the main theme, the main flavor is that the Lord was with him. And you're going to hear four things. I'll tell you those in just a minute. Four main points from this passage. And here's what I want you to know, epistemology. To know them. It's one thing to let them rattle around in your head and have them make logical sense. That's fairly easy, I think. I'll say them, I think, clearly enough that you all should be able to get your head around them. But to claim to know them in the way the Bible calls us to, to be transformed in our thoughts and in our feelings and actions by the renewing of our minds means not not just getting our heads around them, but but praying that by the Spirit of God it would drive deep into our hearts that we might endure suffering differently. (laughs) That's that's the aim. At, At the end of this, we might endure suffering differently than if we didn't have this passage. And in particular, that in our suffering we would hope in God even to the point where our main thought is how to bless others in the midst of our difficulty. So we'll get to all that. Here's the four points, and then I'm going to pray. Joseph prospered in trial because the hand of God was upon him. It says the Lord is with him. That's awesome. Joseph, Joseph prospered. He didn't just endure. He was more than a conqueror because the hand of God was upon him in that trial. Number two, Joseph faced significant temptation even though he was faithful to God. This kind of temptation is its own kind of trial, and he experienced it because he was faithful to God. Similarly, number three, it wasn't mere temptation, but it turned quickly to persecution. So he faced significant persecution even though he was faithful to God. So faithfulness to God does not does not keep us from temptation or persecution. But, number four, he remained faithful to God even in his temptation and persecution. So when we bring all these together, we're given an important reminder of the rightness of walking with God, walking with God as he calls us to, regardless of our earthly circumstances or consequences. Let's pray that God would help us with all of this. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. It's straightforward. Uh, what happens in it is simple and easy to see. It's, it's remarkable, but it's easy to follow. It's, it's filled with pain and struggle and, 
and difficulty and treachery and but all of that under the awesome banner of your presence with your servant. You never left Joseph. And so he endured in faith and in hope and even in prosperity and even in his prosperity blessed others. God changed the way we think about our trials and our suffering in order that you might change the way we feel and act when we're in them. God, please help us to know these things. That is to say, help us to be transformed by them in every way that we might actually be able to claim we know Genesis 39. We understand it. Help us, even in our sense of what it means to know, to be informed by your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage this morning opens where chapter 37 left off. If you remember back in 37, at the very end of it, Joseph had been sold by his brothers to Midianite or Ishmaelite traders. Not trader, traders. They were trading things, goods and stuff. Traders. I'm saying that right, right? Trade Traders, not traitors. You know what? Okay, you're with me. Merchants, traveling merchants on their way to Egypt. Uh, well, then they sold him to a man named Potiphar. Once they got to Egypt, Potiphar was a very powerful man. He was in charge of Pharaoh's guard. He was the captain of the guard of, for Pharaoh, who was the ruler of all of Egypt. That's exactly where we pick up this morning. After 38 broke off and told us a story about Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, and, and his unfaithfulness, we pick back up here in 39, right where 37 left left off. So from there, the passage quickly moves to a really important description of God's blessing on Joseph in trial. You got to see this. I'm I'm, I'm a really linear guy. If you don't know that about me already, you'll learn that soon if you sit under the preaching here for long. And I love linear passages. This is a linear passage. There are five, I'm calling them steps. There's probably a better word. But there are five steps to God's blessing that I want you to see in this opening paragraph. This is not always how God works, but there's a lot here for us to see. Here's step one. The Lord was with Joseph. You see that in verse two. The beginning and key to everything that follows in this chapter, really in the whole Bible, is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with his people. My experience is that most people, you read the rest of this and you think, wow, that's that's amazing that while enslaved in a pagan nation under the captain of the guard, he was able to prosper. That's an amazing blessing of God. While imprisoned for something he didn't do, he was able to prosper, to to be in charge of the whole prison. That's, That's an amazing gift of God. In my experience, most people focus on those things as the most significant blessing from God to Joseph. But it's not. you got to settle on this grace. The presence and happiness of God in Joseph is the greatest gift that God gave to Joseph. I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. If you've been a grace for a while, you've heard these questions before. They need to be in front of us constantly. To know the gospel of Jesus Christ is to know the answer to these questions in your own life. Here they are. What do you desire more, God or the blessings that he has to offer you? What do you desire more, God or the things he might give you? Let me ask the same thing in a different way. Is God your goal 
or is he the means to your goal? Whatever, whatever that is. Is God your goal, God himself, or is he the means to your goal? One more way, I'm going to ask the same question. If you could have everything you ever hoped for, think of all your prayer requests, health and life and the life of your family and friends and the health of your family and friends, even everlasting life, you'd live forever. Money or looks or fame or success. If you could have all of those things and and delight in them, but have them apart from God, is that a deal that sounds good to you? The point I'm trying to make, because I believe it's the point the text is trying to make, is that God's highest blessing for Joseph or for anyone, the highest blessing he offers us in Jesus Christ is to be with us in fellowship himself. He is his highest reward. If nothing else followed, if all we had was verse 2, that the Lord was with Joseph, if that's it, if that's all Joseph got, it was the greatest possible blessing. Settle on that grace. Settle on that now. Or every trial you endure will have the potential to crush and overwhelm you. Settle on that grace, and you, like Joseph here, will be able to endure every trial and hope. Everything that follows flows out of this. The Lord was with Joseph. Here's step two. Step one, the Lord is with Joseph. Step two, God made Joseph successful under the enslavement. Of Potiphar. God with us is enough. But by God's design, God's benevolent presence almost always leads to some specific outward blessing or blessings. Almost always. We'll come back to this in a bit. But how many of you put yourself, put yourself in Joseph's shoes? Some of you have been in them in significant ways. How many of you have family members that despise you? How about 11 of them? How many of you have people in your life that think of you as an enemy who cannot even speak to you peaceably? How many people of you in your life have experienced that? Probably not many of us, probably none of us to that degree. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What what would you do if that were the case? All 11 of your brothers hated you. They wanted you dead. How many of you would probably throw yourself a big pity party if that were the case. If you found yourself enslaved by a pagan military leader at the treacherous hands of your own family, how would you frame that story when you sent out your prayer requests? How many of the people reading your story would think mainly, woe is you? (laughs) How would you frame your story if you were enslaved by a pagan military leader? Do you even, Grace Church, have a category for something like Joseph's situation, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, enslaved in the house of a pagan leader? Do you even have a category for something like this being objectively and eternally better than if he were safely back at home in the loving arms of his family? Think about that for a second. I mean, what do we pray for the most? A family that would love us and a warm home to be in with People who love to to bless us and we love to bless them. So do you have a category for something like Joseph's situation being objectively and eternally better by God's design than if he had been back home with 11 brothers who loved him and a, a father who loved him? Does the fact that God was with Joseph in this miserable situation 
fit within your usual framework for trials? And here's the italicized version of all these questions. That means it's really important. Does the fact that God caused Joseph to succeed more in his enslavement than in his freedom make sense to you? <laughs> I mean, how, how many of you have ever thought, like we sang earlier, God, God, I'd rather be enslaved with you with me than free without you. Does the fact that God caused Joseph to succeed more in his enslavement than in his freedom, does that even make sense for your understanding of the Christian faith and the world we live in? Verse 2 simply tells us that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man when he was in the house of his Egyptian master. In no sense... Did Joseph's brothers sin here, this grace? In no sense did their sin, his brother's sin, or his Egyptian enslavement tie the Lord's hands in Joseph's life. In fact, as we move through the Joseph story, you're going to see, and and if you've read the rest of Genesis, you already know this, we're going to see that the brother's sin and the Egyptian enslavement were actually critical parts of God's plan to bless Joseph and all of Abraham's offspring in him. This particular measure of suffering was meant to bring about a greater good than Joseph ever could have imagined. Again, the question before us then is this. Do you understand the trials in your life? Think of them. Draw one to mind. Something hard in your life right now or recently or or that you imagine happening soon. Here's the question. The sermon's a lot of questions. Do you understand the trials in this life mainly in terms of the way they will deprive you of a measure of comfort? Or do you understand them mainly in terms of their provision of a different path to sanctification and blessing? Does that make sense? Let me say that again. Here's a question. You got to settle on this. I have to settle on this. Do you understand the trials in your life mainly in terms of their deprivation? They're taking away from you some measure of comfort? Or do you understand them mainly in terms of their provision of a different path to sanctification and blessing? God is with Joseph. And as a result, Joseph became successful in his captivity in a manner that far exceeded that of his freedom. Such is the nature of the mysterious providence of God for those who love him, for those that he has set his favor upon. Here's step three. Potiphar noticed Joseph's success was the result of the Lord being with him. So not only was God with Joseph, not only was that enough, but he blessed him in addition to that. Not only that, but also Potiphar noticed that it was the Lord who was doing these things. Verse 3. The third step in the Genesis 39 process is that God allowed Potiphar to recognize the source of the success that Joseph had. He said that the Lord was with him. Potiphar saw that the Lord is with Joseph, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. It might not seem like it, but this is really a gift. What do I mean by that? You and I know, at least if you're familiar at all with the Bible and passages like James 1.17, we know that every good thing, truly good thing, comes from God. But that fact is definitely not clear to everyone. Even as believers, we're prone to forget that sometimes, right? We think of good gifts as things in and of themselves, but but it's easy to forget that every one of them comes from the hand of the Lord. 
Therefore, it is significant. It's a remarkable gift that Potiphar was able to recognize this. We don't know exactly how he knew. We're just told that he did. Again, this is not always how God works. There are many places in the Bible, and and I'm sure in your life and mine, where God blessed us, and the unbelievers around us didn't recognize that as from God, much less appreciate it, and maybe even scoffed at us for them. But it is how God worked here. He gave Joseph the gift of being with him. Then he gave him a second gift of extending that blessing from him into earthly success. And then he gave a third gift to both Joseph and Potiphar and allowing both of them to know that it was the Lord's hand from which this this success came. Another set of questions. I told you it's a sermon of a lot of questions. Would you take a minute to ask yourself right now, that God would help you to see that he is the source of any true gift in your life? Would you do so in order that you might rightly honor God for them, even when they come in less comfortable packages? And would you do so in the hope that the non-believers in your life would be able to see God's blessing upon you and know that they are from God? Here's step four. Potiphar favored Joseph on account of the Lord's blessing. So not only did he recognize Joseph's blessing was from the Lord, but he placed his favor on Joseph because of that. Verse 4 says, So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. And he made him overseer. Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Similarly, a few verses later in verse 6, it says, So he, that is Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. There's no indication in any of this that Potiphar understood the Lord to be the one true God. There's no indication of that. All we know is that he was glad for the blessing, whatever its source. Another question. Isn't that often the case for you and I? I hate that it is in my life, but it often is the case. Isn't it often the case that we're... We're happy for the blessing without giving much thought to its source, to not honor God for it. It might take some time, it might, it might take some drilling down into your heart to see this, but it's worth the drilling. I invite you to consider whether or not this is the case for you as well. You you might, you might be tempted. (laughs) So are you, are you fine being blessed regardless of the source? That's the question. You might be tempted to quickly say, no, 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 I'm not. But let me ask you a couple test questions. I got, I got a couple test questions for you. Kids especially. This is a good one for you. Do you tend, do you tend upon receiving some gift? Imagine the last, the last good thing you received. Here's the question. Do you typically move straight to enjoying it? You get something that, some, some good gift. Do you tend to move straight to enjoying it? If so, you might be more like Potiphar than you'd like to admit. Here's another one. Do you tend to take credit for the good things you receive, especially if getting them involves some measure of hard work or hard thought or even a measure of suffering on your part? Do you tend to take credit for the good things you receive? If so, you might not care as much as you should about the source of your gifts. On the other hand, upon receiving the blessing of God, you immediately turn to God in thanksgiving. Or do you immediately turn to others to brag about the goodness of God and the kindness of God 
If so, you're probably heading in the right direction. Simply, Grace, we cannot be indifferent to the source of our gifts. We need to honor God as the giver of the good things he gives and refuse those who offer them as an enticement to sin. The Lord blessed Potiphar through Joseph's blessing for Joseph's sake. God made Potiphar happy with Joseph because God had plans for Joseph and his family in the land of Egypt that were spectacular. Here's the fifth and final step. The Lord blessed and continued to bless Potiphar through Joseph. He was with him. He caused him to be successful. He caused Potiphar to recognize this. He caused Potiphar to bless Joseph because of this. And finally, the Lord continued to bless Potiphar through Joseph. It wasn't a one-time thing, but ongoing. Verse 5 says, From the time that he made him overseer, from the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house, and over all that he had, from that time on, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. This, this is awesome to see, <laughs> but it gets more awesome. In order that we might give God all the glory that he deserves, that he is due from this marvelous work, we have to see something. This is, this is a spectacular way that the Lord's hand was on Joseph. It's unusual. As a slave, he was blessed to the point of being second in the land in a certain way. In order to see that this was God and to give God all the glory that he is due, you need to recognize that this passage ends in the same way that it begins. First, with his enslavement in Potiphar's house, and then in his imprisonment for being lied about. Look at verse 20. This happens again. The same five steps. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. We'll, We'll talk about why in a minute. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. And again, in 40, we learn for some time. But the Lord is with Joseph. You hear that language again? So he's in a new kind of suffering and a new kind of difficulty. But the Lord is with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor, same language, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the prisoner and the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because, again, Same language, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. By the sinful hands of others' grace, Joseph went from enslavement to imprisonment. And yet God was with him the entire time. Remember that in your suffering. Remember that in your difficulty. Working a far greater good than the evil his brothers and his master's wife would, God was with him. Again, the repeated pattern is meant to meant to help us see God's hand in all of this. All of this. You see the pattern all over again. Number one, God was with Joseph. This time, it goes even further to say, to, to make plain that he showed steadfast love to Joseph. God was with Joseph. Two, God showed Joseph favor and blessed him in this trial, in this imprisonment. Number three, the keeper of the prison recognized that it was God who was blessing Joseph. Number four, because of this, he put him in charge of everything. He was blessed through Joseph's blessing. And lastly, the Lord continued to bless both of them. The the keeper of the prison through Joseph, Joseph's blessing. Three main takeaways for us from this. First, God is in control. 
In good times and in bad, remember this grace. God is in control. It ought to have been clear from the first example, Joseph's thriving during his enslavement, but to make it absolutely unmistakable, God did the same thing again in his imprisonment. This passage is yet another of the countless reasons we have to trust in God in his good governance of all things for those who love him. Here's the second main takeaway. God doesn't need our wisdom or our strength or our gifts. Whatever ones we have, he gave them to us anyway. He doesn't need those things to accomplish his purposes. He sometimes uses them, but it's a a gift, a further gift for us. This passage makes clear, hear this, you need to hear this, that God did not choose to use Joseph because Joseph was competent but rather Joseph was competent because God chose to use him. He was made competent by God. Are you in a situation, Grace, that you cannot imagine what good might come out of it? This passage teaches you to rest easy. And here's the the third main takeaway from this first section. Joseph's circumstances, dire as they were, did anything but cut off his access to God and the blessing of God in his life. I know this, I say this, you know, usually when I say we often act, really what I mean is I do, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, what's the word? I'm ascribing that to you as well. Maybe it's true of you, but it is true of me. We often act as if being in a place of hardship, hard things, is the very definition of being outside of God's blessing. This passage doesn't allow for that kind of thinking. Don't we act like that when life is easy and smooth and everything's going the way we think it should? We act as if that is the the nature of the blessing of God. And so when things go wrong and funny, we treat that as if it's the very definition of being outside of God's blessing. This passage blows that up. It doesn't allow for God's people to think that way. This whole Joseph cycle really is something for us all to pray as well. Pray that God would be with you because we know he is in Jesus Christ. There's a type, a bunch of different ways God was with his people in the Old Testament. Hebrews says that he spoke and interacted with them in various times and in various ways, sometimes through a burning bush or through a talking donkey or through a, a, an angel that would come and wrestle. And and sometimes it was, we don't, we don't even know exactly how God is with Joseph here, just that he was. Well, Jesus came, and it was better still that the the Son of God was physically present on earth with his people, but he tells us it's greater still for you and I because he sent the Spirit to live in us. And, And again, here's the point. It is good for us to want God to bless us, to cause us to succeed as we seek to live out his mission on our lives It is good and right then to want God's blessing through us to be clear to the whole world. For the world to look and see that there is a God who is with us. He's enslaved. He's, she's imprisoned. And yet he's, and she is succeeding at every turn. It is good to want God's favor to be upon us and to want others to see it. And all of that, that God's name might be shown to be as great as it is. So consider what this might mean then for your home and work and family and church. What might it look like? What what might your prayer be that God would bless you right now in such a way that others can't help but to notice? 
And what might it look like for you to immediately and intentionally turn that blessing of God that others see back into praise for God and blessing for them? Think about that. What might that look like? All right, that was that was all the first point with a number of subpoints. The last three are much quicker. Joseph, second main point of the text. Joseph faced significant temptation even though he was faithful to God. We see that in 6, 7, and 11. There is no record in this passage of any hint of injustice or faithlessness or sin on the part of Joseph. Every indication is that he simply went about doing his best to honor God in whatever situation, no matter how hard it was, that presented itself to him. Regardless of how unjust the circumstances were that got him to where he was. The practical result of his faithfulness to God and God's being with him was his enslavement. And in his enslavement, he was propositioned by his master's wife. Look at verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, verse 7, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there or was there, she caught him. His master's wife caught him by this garment saying, again, lie with me. Do you remember uh, in 37 how I pointed out that only once Joseph's brothers were far away from their father, they were out tending the flocks in a, in a place away from their father's eye. It was only once they were out there and then Joseph sent by their father to them. It was only once that was the case that they had the cover and the courage to act on their hatred towards Joseph. You remember talking about that? I, I suggested this is often how sin works its way out of us. The sins that we've tolerated in our minds and in our hearts often work themselves out into our lives when the usual defenses are taken away. You remember all that? With an empty house, Joseph finds himself in the same position his brothers were when they gave in to their sinful temptations. Joseph finds himself in an empty house and a persistent temptress. He was tempted in the way his brothers were. The usual protections were gone, the text tells us. But while his brothers were faithless, Joseph was faithful. His brothers were faithless as they experienced temptation and isolation. Joseph was faithful. The simple point is this. Faithfulness to, to God does not mean that we won't experience temptation. You, you might have been sold a bill of goods when you first heard the gospel. Come to Jesus and have your best life now. Come to Jesus and you know all these things you hope for will all come true in this life. Every, every relationship will be mended. Life just gets easier. Probably win the lottery or something like that. It's just not how the Bible talks. It's not the picture we see. It's not the commands or the teachings we encounter. Being faithful to God does not mean you will never experience temptation. Indeed, Grace, settle on this. The most faithful man of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in every respect, Hebrews says, has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Indeed, settle on this. In some ways, we're more likely to be tempted when we walk in faithfulness. 
Such is the nature of living in this fallen world. That's point number two. Here's number three. Joseph not only faced significant temptation through his faithfulness, he also experienced significant persecution. In spite of the remarkable blessing he'd been to Potiphar and to his house, and in spite of the fact that at Joseph's hand, Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food he ate, in spite of all of these things, look at 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. It's important you notice something from this passage. The ordinary penalty for such a thing, in other words, if Joseph had really done what Potiphar's wife said that he had done, the ordinary penalty would have been death. He would have been put to death immediately. The very fact that he was imprisoned rather than killed indicates that Potiphar probably had some suspicion that the charges his wife brought about on Joseph were suspect. And yet, in case it seems as if Joseph knew no real suffering, Psalm 105 talks about this exact situation. It says this, When God summoned a famine, that's coming in a little bit, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he sent a man, that's Joseph, ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, Joseph's feet were hurt with fetters. That's what he's experiencing right here. His neck was put in a collar of iron until he said... until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Though this would turn to good, greater good than anyone could have thought, it was no easy path that Joseph had to walk. His persecution and his suffering were significant. And the simple point is that faithfulness to God does not mean you won't face persecution. Again, the most faithful man of all time, Jesus Christ was mocked and beaten and crucified for his faithfulness to the Father. Grace, once again, just like in some ways our faithfulness leads to greater temptation, sometimes it also leads to greater persecution sometimes. In John 15, 20, Jesus promised his followers that if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But hear this, that's not all that Jesus said about temptation and persecution and suffering. He said in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those. Think of Joseph. Think of Joseph. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Joseph, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Grace, do you see that? Persecution and suffering are inevitable. But those who endure will be full of rejoicing and gladness and reward. Following Jesus almost always means walking a hard, hard road. One filled with significant temptation and persecution, but also greater blessing and reward than we can fathom. Here's the last point. Joseph remained faithful. So he was tempted and persecuted in spite of his faithfulness. But the last point is that he remained faithful through his temptation and persecution. God was with Joseph. 
He faced temptation and persecution, even though he was faithful, but he was faithful through his temptation and persecution. Verse six. Now Joseph was handsome and form and appearance. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes down on Joseph and said, lie with me. Verse eight. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except one thing, you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. And again in verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do the work and none of the men of the house was there in the, in the house, she caught him by the garment and said, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled out of, to get out of the house. There's a couple of things I want you to see from, from Joseph's response. Where his brother Judah, why, why is chapter 38 in the middle of 37 and 39? To provide this contrast. Where Judah was faced with sexual temptation, he was immoral, while Joseph was moral. The contrast is why this is in here. Where Je- number two, where Adam and Eve, do you remember the, the big thing? God, God had offered them anything in the garden, anything and everything, but one thing. And they turned to that one thing, right? We're meant to draw our minds back to the garden here. That's why this passage is here. Where Adam and Eve were de- denied only one thing but couldn't resist, this text tells us plainly that Joseph too was denied one thing in the, the house of his master, only his wife, but he did. He did resist. This, too, is an important contrast to help us see the power and grace of God on the people of God. Number three, Joseph called sin, sin. This He was, he was not being propositioned with having an affair, but a wicked act of adultery, and he called it that. Number four, Joseph acknowledged the horizontal offense this would have been against Potiphar. It would have been an offense against his master to lie with his wife. But more importantly, in verse 9, you see that he rooted it in the vertical offense it would have been against his Lord. And lastly, number five, I want you to notice from this that Joseph continued to resist temptation, even as it was repeated to him, represented to him repeatedly. Through his direct refusal, and then attempt at reasoning, and then finally fleeing, he models for us. Paul's charge in 2 Timothy 2.22, when he says, flee the youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those, like Joseph, who have called on the Lord from a pure heart. Grace, Joseph did not remain faithful to God because he was strong enough or resolved enough or had enough in him to do it on his own. Rather, it was because, as the text tells us explicitly, God was with him to keep him and cause him to succeed, not just in managing a house and a prison well, but to succeed in continuing to hope in the Lord his God, to trust in the Lord his God. And just as Joseph was kept by God, so too, Grace, will all of us who hope in Jesus. The promises of God are sure. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, Grace. Be faithful, to Jesus and you will know temptation, but no temptation can overtake you for God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You will face temptation and you will face persecution. But what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Perhaps the most significant implication of these things is one simple reality. No circumstances, no matter how difficult and no matter how painful, ever put us outside of the reach of the love and blessing of God. Consequently, no circumstances, no matter how dire they seem, are outside of God's perfect plan for perfect good for those who love him. So here's the four things again. Joseph prospered in trial because God was with him. Joseph faced significant temptation even though he was faithful to God. Joseph faced significant persecution even though he was faithful to God. And Joseph remained faithful to God even through his temptation and persecution. So what are we to do with this? How do we respond? Two things. First, look to Jesus. If your hope is not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, if you are not trusting in Jesus right now, none of these promises are for you. You remain in your sin. You remain enemies of God. And your trials are trials. And they're suffering. And they lead to greater trials and greater suffering. And so if your hope is not in Jesus, look to him today and he will forgive you and free you. And his promises for good become yours instantly. But if you are hoping in him, Remember that he is with you always, even to the end of the age. Fight, Christian, to remember that you are never alone and never without the blessing and favor of God. Consider Joseph and recognize that God is with you more than he ever was with Joseph by his spirit. Remember this in times of joy and trial and be strengthened for obedience in both. That's the first thing. Look to Jesus. Second, Consider this week. This week, try to try to draw to mind a specific thing. We don't want to be a church of generic application or general obedience. We want to be a church of specific people and specific things. Think for a minute right now before I pray. This is the last thing. Consider how you might turn your God-given blessing into a blessing for someone else this week. Pick an actual person, a real human that you're likely to encounter this week. What might you do, even especially, some of you are, are, are struggling right now, and it's more than you can imagine even to just get yourself through the day. I'm talking especially to those of you, because that's where Joseph was. What might you do this week, even and especially if you are in a hard place yourself, to live in such a way that God's blessed presence in your life is clear and obvious and a source of help to someone else. Think of something you might actually do, that you will actually do with God's help. Look to Jesus and then turn that, the gaze, that awesome gaze of seeing Jesus, your Savior, to a blessing to someone else.